Welcome to our main, Multiple Lenses for Tefillah Education. This podcast series hosts a panel of tefillah educators, led by Rabbi Svi Hirschfield, in an invigorating discussion of how to make prayer relevant to young people. As our focus, we'll use a menu of educational goals developed by the Pardes Center for Jewish Educators, where each educator explores this episode's prayer through a lens of either connecting to God, developing a sense of Jewish community, or cultivating personal growth. We hope this podcast challenges you to improve to fill education, and let us say, Amen. Okay, welcome everybody. Uh, we're very excited to uh, get into discussion of a really, uh, some would say the most central of the tefillot, and that is the Shema, uh, and perhaps we'll even spend more than one session on it. We're going to begin with uh, the first line of Shema, maybe the first paragraph of Shema. Uh, the Shema is central, it's the most widely known, uh, it certainly occurs in the Sidurim of all the Jewish movements, so we think it's a really uh, appropriate thing to focus on and think about. But at the same time, before I hand it over to my esteemed colleagues, I think it's an example of a tefillah that people know. They know the words, but I don't know how often people think about what the meaning is. Or to, to reflect on what Ruvain said last time, what is the goal in saying it? What are we trying to get out of it? What's it meant to teach us? Especially because Shema is a declaration, right? It's not making requests of God. It's, in fact, biblical texts that we are reciting uh, and the question is, what is our goal? What are we trying to get out of this recitation? So uh, we can, we'll begin uh, with Aviva to share an approach. Who's Aviva? Who's Aviva? Well, we introduced her last time, but I'm proud to introduce her again. She is the director of uh, PCJE here at Pardes, Aviva Laura Goldberg. She is an outstanding Jewish educator and trainer of other Jewish educators uh, with a lot of experience inside the classroom, outside the classroom, uh, and we're excited to hear what she has to say. Welcome, Thank Aviva. you, Tzvi. Um, and we also have here Rabbi Ruven Margaret, teacher extraordinaire, mm-hmm. um, and all of those things that Tzvi just said about me. So um, actually what we're going to do is gonna, we're going to challenge you, Tzvi, because um, as we talked about these different goals and these different categories of, of goals for tefillah education, Ruven and I have already... Um, chosen our lens through which we're going to look at the Shema. Um, and the third of the three, um, you don't know which one that is yet. So we're challenging you. You get to think on the spot, on the fly. Okay. Figure we'll out the how I the can. Shema, um, that the, the goal of Tefillah that we're going to tell you can be achieved through um, Tefillah education about the Shema. So okay. Ruvain has chosen mm-hmm. the God goal, how to, in fact, I think that probably um, we should, you know, really define those goals or read them out loud when we get to our pieces. Um, but Ruvain's is the God goal. Um, mine is the community goal. So you are going to get the Midot personal growth character development goal. Okay. Ready? Is that okay? All right. I'm ready. And it's not going to be the same goal each time. You're going to get different ones each time. Okay, then. All righty. <laughs> so are we starting? Yeah. Well, let's start with God. Yeah. I feel like this, you know, this is God. All right, we'll start with God. Ruvain. I mean, it seems appropriate, I guess, as uh, the Shema is all about God. So um, and what does what does the God kind of lens look like? So, uh, it, so it says here, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong because you helped uh, craft these. Students will experience to feel it as a vehicle for connecting to and cultivating a personal relationship with God. 
And it's interesting how not a lot of people often use the G word, God, uh, and that sometimes that can be missing from tefillah education. Uh, and that might be interesting to explore that. But what I wanted to get out uh, from looking at the Shema is, uh, is to actually think about what it's surrounded by. That the, the bracha, the blessing before the Shema, finishes, Yisrael with love. And it feels like before we can enter into, you know, perhaps one of the ultimate statements of faith, like Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, that it, it has to be based on Ahava. So this last piece of the bracha before, blessed are you, Lord, who chooses his people or God's people, Israel, in love. Mm-hmm. In love. Thank you. Um, and, and also in the evening Shema as well. So that's, that's for Shacharit, right, for the morning prayers. In the evening um, Shema, the prayer before it, the Ahavat Olam, it finishes, Baruch Hashem, Ohev Amor Yisrael. Ohev Amor Yisrael. Uh, blessed are you, Hashem, who loves his nation, Israel. Um, so it feels like there's a whole lot of love going on. And, and it feels that, that that's what needs to happen in tefillah education. Are we making the spaces where tefillah education happens places of love? Hmm. Because sometimes... You go to places, and especially maybe with young people, where there might be a feeling of fear. Um, they have to sit. They have to be on the right page. They have, they're not allowed to talk out of turn, which, I mean, there has to be certainly decorum. But is it coming for, is it for the students experiencing to feel a, more towards fear and rule following? Or are they experiencing any sense of love coming from it? I wonder also, if, when you're talking about rule following, um, who is that, and fear, who is that directed towards? Meaning, really, it might be coming from their teachers who are, um, for want of a better word, policing them in terms of decorum, but then are they thinking about and turning that feeling towards God um, mm-hmm. rather than where it actually comes from and then not doing, not feeling love towards God? Yes. Hmm. Yeah. And I'm not saying there's any easy... There's any easy solutions, but just I, th- I think for educators to have uh, just an honest sense of a st- what, do, what, what do you think students are feeling during this time? You know, on the spectrum of you know love one end and fear the other end. Um, from their perspective, what does it feel like? You're making me think of something that I haven't ever thought before, which is um, the form and function of the bracha before Shema, the paragraph after Shema, and the Shema itself, it's almost Mm -hmm. like the form and function really align. Because Mm -hmm. if we're talking about um, love before, that God loves us, and then afterward, that we should love God, Mm -hmm. it's kind of, I was imagining it like an embrace. You know, like there's Mm -hmm. some kind of um, enveloping with love before and after, like a sandwich, but we can call it an embrace instead. And so that form of that embrace really, really reflects the idea of, of loving God and God loving us, mm-hmm. surrounding the, the echad-ness of the Shema. I love that.
Oh, haha. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So educationally then, the, in teaching Shema, the goal would be to somehow teach or help students feel loved by God. And then after that, to express a sense of how they express their love for God in return. Yeah, I'd say there's another, there's, I think, another key element, which I think, I don't know if this creeps into the personal growth element, so I don't know if I'm moving out of there, but I, in some ways, I will see it as kind of unified as well, is that by accepting God, what we might call uh, accepting the yoke of heaven, the um, Kabbalah al-Malchut Shemayim, right, accepting the yoke of heaven, which some attribute to the first paragraph of the Shema, you're really acknowledging that you're not in control, that the world doesn't revolve around you. And I think that's an important message, I think, in today's society, um, especially for young people, but I think especially for all people. Um, but there's a lot of, I think, ego, egocentrism, that they feel that the world and the universe is, you know, owes them something. Um, and I think this really can help a person break free from that, which I think is psychologically healthy. And even things like the 12 Steps program for Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, most recovery programs, their first step is to acknowledge that there is a power higher than yourself. Right? But you are not in control of everything. You can't control everything. It's not all about you. It's more about how you respond to the situation, to the cards that you've been dealt. And I, th I think for young people and older like, that that's a really, really powerful, that's a really powerful message, which isn't just an intellectual message. I think when you actually do the Shema, it, it kind of trains you. And you understand what you're saying, right? But it trains you into something else, something other than yourself. It opens you up. I'm hearing or I'm sensing for myself a bit of a challenge in this. And Svi, I'm wondering if you can, you know, you can comment on this. It, there's, on the one hand, we are trying to teach our students to our children to love God. And on the other hand, like I said before, there's a lot of, you know, decorum policing that happens in schools and that induces fear and anger sometimes. On one hand, um, you know, there's the sense of like feeling and, and wanting to connect to God. And on the other hand, there's the, the yoke, a yoke by definition is something that is coerced upon you, that is forced upon you. How, how can we, what do we need to do in our schools? What do we need to do in our families so that, that, that the, the sense of coercion and being forced and, and, just not being happy. How, how do we get rid of that? Uh, I don't know how we get rid of it. I think we have to acknowledge all spiritual practice requires discipline, right? If we only if we only exercise when we felt like exercising, we wouldn't exercise. If we only eat healthfully when we felt like it, we wouldn't eat healthfully very true. often, right? Part of what we are teaching, and it's true of everything, all learning and growth requires discipline. And that means Entering in, uh, maybe you're not feeling very loving towards God in that moment, but you're trying to put yourself in a place of feeling that love. But I think that we have to offer them prompts. I think that part of educating is, okay, before we recite the Shema, what is it we might think about? What is it that we can put on the wall? What picture can we project? 
What experience can we ask students to have in mind? And I think that that is uh, part of what it means to educate the tefillah as opposed to just reciting it. Uh, mm-hmm. We need prompts. It sounds like you're saying that we need to distinguish between um, fear and coercion, and on the other hand, discipline. That discipline does not have to be about fear and coercion, and that somehow in the role modeling or in the talking about it or in the education about it, we have to have we have to uh, uh, empower our students to see the difference between those two. And- discipline is good. Discipline's good, and, and, and I think children understand that the school environment can be coercive, right? They understand that they didn't all choose to come to school that day. They didn't choose to take math. They didn't choose to take social studies. They understand that the adults in the room are making choices that they believe are in their overall best interest. And I think, and you have to cultivate that sense of trust, right? But that's part of why the role modeling of the teacher is so important, because if you can look a group of students in the eye and say, I do this every day and it's made my life better and I'm inviting you into that same practice and I want you to trust me that if we move into this practice together after two, three, four, five months, we're going to notice that things are improving. Then I think, but you're right, you have to get that buy-in. You have to invite them to join you and if they trust you and respect you, uh, then hopefully they, they will join you. Uh, but you're right. The challenge is present. There's no question about it. That sense of prayer is, on the one hand, so, needs to be so voluntary in order to be emotionally meaningful, but at the same time, spiritual discipline and structure uh, are certainly part of it. It's almost like you're talking about Kevan Kavanatsvi. It would seem that that would be relevant, yeah. Which I think is another podcast, which is out there. Um, I also heard you say something else, Svi. It seems like also thinking about how to motivate students as well through prompts or other visuals or whatever else is that you know this discipline maybe comes across as a, even though it is a discipline but sometimes like we also use the word you know when you discipline a child um but maybe like thinking about what might motivate students um not like a pavlov's dog way you know give them a cookie at the end but i know some i know some teachers who have done that um but like, think about what motivates you know young people to keep them. Like, if you go to the gym, or not you or me, I don't know who you go to the gym. I don't go to the gym. Like, me but neither. like a good, a good coach, like will will motivate. If you do the same thing again and again, it can it become a bit dry and stayed. So, what can you do? Things you know to to mix it up a little bit here and there. I actually heard you to be also sort of veer into maybe you were easing into. Um, your goal, the goal that you're going to talk about, the character growth um, or character development goal, because you talked about explaining to children that um, that tefillah has done wonders, you know, if tefillah has done good things for you um, and that maybe, and it has fulfilled things for you, that, that maybe that will um, also inspire them. So... Yeah, look, I think in anything that we're teaching, whatever the goals, we have to give students tools to see how achieving these goals is actually good for them and makes their lives better, right? Uh, just today, I taught a class at another institution, and the writing prompt was, and it was really about connecting to God through tefillah, if you were more connected to God, how would your day look different? And everyone came up with 10, 15 things, and it's no surprise, all the things they came up with were positive. 
one person was like, I'd, I'd be nicer to the people around me. I'd have more patience. I'd, I'd enjoy nature more, whatever the things that they came up with. But I think that that's part of it, right? Based on what you're saying, Ruvain, that if I, if I live a life where I feel loved by God and I love God, I think my life will be better in all the ways that I would like it to be better. So I think that's one of the things that we're trying to educate and show, that, that this being, a, being loved by God and loving God yields a more meaningful, better life. And I think if we can show that, then, uh, then the goal of being connected to God is a worthwhile goal that people will be convinced that they want to pursue. I am totally in agreement with that, and I'm going to then play devil's advocate, moving right along. Um, I uh, let's say a student, and this is this has happened to all of us, or and will happen even more. Says uh, God has nothing to do with this for me. So, what do you do then? Well, great. Do you have any, maybe you have thoughts about? Uh, we have a couple other goals here that are not God related. I know. I was going. For, I was going for yours. Oh, well, I want to start with yours. Okay. All right. Um, okay. So my goal is. The one that says, students will approach tefillah as a significant means of connecting to the Jewish people and creating community. And when I was thinking about um, Shema, connecting the, the Shema prayer to community, I felt that I was being very brave, rather brave, um, in that you might, it seems that Shema is actually a rather solitary prayer in, in a lot of ways. I mean, when we say that the verse of Shema itself, we cover our eyes and that, you know, completely isolates you. When we say the Baruch Shem Kavod Pasuk, we say it quietly, except for, you know, once a year kind of thing. Um, we, we, we say it to ourselves. Nobody hears it. And in the first paragraph that Ruvain was talking about before, the ve'ahavta, well, actually ve'ahavta, right? Um, that is all in the um, second person singular. You know, you, as in just you personally, singularly, should love God. Um, and the entire paragraph is in that second person singular. So it seems like it's not a very community-oriented tefillah at all. And... Hence my courage in being willing to talk about this. And, and I actually, um, I thought about two things. Um, the first, uh, I, will, I will have to admit that is, it is certainly not of my, my own making. Um, in, in looking at the wonderful um, Koran Sidur, the Anit Fila Weekday Sidur with uh, the translation by Rabbi Sachs and commentary by Rabbi Jay Goldmans, who is so, so wonderful. Um, I wanted to, I actually wanted to just read a little story that was put in here. Please. Okay. So this is about the Shema, the, the Pasuk, the one, the verse of, of Shema itself. It reads, um, Rabbi Eliezer Silver, a leader of the American Orthodox Jewry in the 20th century, um, was president of the Vad Hatzalah, or the Rescue Committee for Jews who survived the Holocaust. In that capacity, he traveled in post-war Europe looking for Jewish children who had ended up in non-Jewish orphanages, most often sponsored by the church. In one such case, he came to an orphanage in Alsace-Lorraine asking if there were Jewish children there. He was told that there were none or that they couldn't be identified as such. Their origins were unknown, and they themselves had forgotten where they were from. Rabbi Silver insisted that he nevertheless be permitted to see the children, and he was finally allowed to do so for a few moments before their bedtime. He walked into a room filled with beds of children preparing to go to sleep. 
He called out, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. And immediately, a young child cried out, Mommy. Soon other voices joined in as children began to come forward, crying out for their mothers. These children are mine, he said to the priest. I'll take them now. So. Well, yeah. can I just say, Shweki has done this great song on that. Oh, Shema really? Yisrael. Oh, my God. It makes me cry. Really wow. Nice. Well, yeah. So, yeah, wow, definitely, yeah. you know, it's it's heavy, but it 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 what it says to me is this this pasuk this verse of Shema Yisrael, um, that that really shows immediately that we are part of one community. You know, we are part of one family, and the fact that all these kids who all they knew of their they didn't know, but all they remembered of their Judaism um, and and their family um, was was the Shema because their parents used to say it with them at night, or they they knew it. That is the Jewish, according you know the way the way this this uh, Sidur refers to it as a catechism of a Jewish catechism almost. Um, that pasuk that verse connects every Jew together, and so when we say that verse. I think even when we close our eyes and we cover our eyes with our right hand, I think it's a really important activity or, or exercise um, for us to sometimes say to our students, we're going to cover our eyes, but not in order to isolate ourselves. We're going to cover our eyes so that we can imagine all of the other Jews in the world saying this verse together. And when you have your eyes open, it's really hard to do that because you see what's in front of you. But in your mind's eye, when you've covered your eyes, I think that you can see and then hear all of the rest of the Jews in the world saying it at the same time. Um, Another, another thought, actually, that I had about, and that I, again, this isn't for me. I heard this from a wonderful, wonderful colleague once, um, that the word Shema, if you say it almost like you're doing meditation or, um, yeah, meditation and meditative practice, if you start Shema by saying shh, like you're shushing everything, all the sound, all the noise around you, and then you say ma as almost like an om, you know, shh, ma. I think that we can focus on that and hear all the Jews in the world saying that together. So with your eyes closed and the focus on hearing and seeing everyone doing it together in your mind's eye and in your mind's ear, the connection is, is really a very, very strong one. Um, yeah. Wow. Well, that's amazing. Yeah, really. I mean, yeah, I'm just thinking, you know, for, for a student to know that they could go into any shul anywhere in the world and say Shema Yisrael and be understood and be welcomed, um, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. You know, it. Uh, so it's very powerful. It's also, it's a great point to make why then learning the words is important, right? Sometimes kids will say, well, I get the idea. Uh, why do you care how I pronounce it, how I say it? And I think you illustrated it perfectly. This is your calling card. To say these words correctly and to know these words is precisely the link. It's not just the idea, right? Because a lot of, many world religions believe in monotheism, right? And uh, the book of Deuteronomy, where it's taken from, also belongs uh, to, to Christianity as well. So what's unique, I think, is, the, is how you put it, like that we say it in a certain way at a certain time. Uh, and, and knowing how to do that, having that skill, it's more than a skill. It's their, it's their calling card. It's their, you know, putting their stake 
uh, in the ground and identifying themselves and who they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Abu Darham actually says, uh, a medieval commentator on prayer, he says that many Sidrim, they print it with the Aleph and the Dalid uh, large, that it's an aid, you're a witness. And he says you're actually saying Shema to the person next to you. Hmm. You're, you're telling the guy, the person, I shouldn't say guy, the woman or the man next to you, here's what I believe. This is who I am. And it's important for me that you know that too. So I think it fits in beautifully with what you're saying, that we're not identifying ourselves only to ourselves. We're identifying ourselves to the people next to us, right? This is who I am. Uh, this is what uh, defines me. So I think that's just beautiful uh, in terms of what you said. I really like that idea. And it, it also makes me think about um, in the first par- paragraph of the Via Hafta, um, where I said before, it's all in singular, but it's all about talking, right? It's talk. It's, it's about what you do with these things or these words. And, and when you're describing them, you're, te- you know, you're, you're supposed to speak of them. Um, when you're in your house, you know, you're supposed to, you, you, you don't speak to yourself. I mean, some people do, but when you, it's all about relationship and community, you're speaking about it to somebody else, that aide who's next to you, um, you know, that friend who's next to you. It's, there is, I think, that there is no Shema without the rest of the community. Mm. And even so, even halachically, even if you, if you was to think of a Shema or recite it in your head, you haven't fulfilled your obligation hmm. of saying this, meaning saying the Shema. It has to be articulated. It has to be out, even though, you know, even if you're the only one who hears it, but there's still something powerful about speech and I'm pronouncing it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting that it's interesting. It's devastating and funny all at the same time. I think that um, you know that the pasuk of Shema is the Shema that it is the pasuk. Excuse me, that is said Al Kiddush Hashem. You know, you're saying it. Um, you know, people say it when they're you know mar- Jews are martyred. That's the that's the verse that they say. Um, and at the same time, that wasn't the funny part. That was the devastating part. Um, have you guys ever heard the term bageling? No. I no. did not ever hear this until like recently. Um, apparently, when you bagel someone, it's you ref- you say something Jewish sounding like, oh, I love eating bagels too, so that they know that you're Jewish. I actually, this happened to a friend of mine when I was in high school, and the person um, said something about loving gefilte fish. So they didn't bagel them, they gefilte fished them. Same idea. Though. Same idea, yeah. Um, but I think really that Shema is the true bageling um, in that, like in the story that, that I read to you earlier, when you, that is the calling card, just like you said. It Beautiful. is, mm-hmm. it's the way we know each other. Just as an aside, I was once getting my car fixed. And somebody came up to me and he said, are you a member of a tribe? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, it's like, I think so, yes. The and tribe or the tribe. a tribe? No, the tribe. Oh, yes. oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a term. That was the first time. Well, they used to say launsman. That used to be the way you'd identify people. A launsman, that literally means you're from the, actually land, the same from town. From my land. You, right, that's no, true. No, please. I know, but it became generic to be. Oh, it means are you from Jews. the same shtetl. That's what I think. In the old that. days, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I guess I am now left with the exciting uh, uh, goal of engaging Tefillah as a resource for personal growth and character development. Uh, and I would say, well, Ruvain already gave one nice example of uh, developing humility, that uh, accepting 
accepting God's uh, control uh, is a form of giving up control and acknowledging that I'm not the center and I'm not in control of everything, which, yes, is, and humility can be, can really give tremendous relief, right? This idea, if I'm not in control, I'm not responsible for everything. I can't fix everything. It's not all on me. And I think that for our students in particular can be a very helpful way to go through their day, right? They see the recitation of Shema's acknowledging it's not all on me. Uh, that is one way to think of it. But I, I would say that uh, Rosal Deshik writes very beautifully that the recitation of Shema and in the context of loving God is really a commitment of, of values and behaviors, right? We're not just saying, uh, I accept God's kingship uh, or God's rule or to love God in the abstract, but I'm actually committing to certain behaviors, certain ways of being in the world uh, and to think about what, what is God Right, so even if we don't believe in God, I'm a dyed in the wool atheist. Great. So let's say God is a placeholder for certain values, whether it's kindness or mercy or caring or supporting, you name it, justice, whatever those values are. Well, if I'm accepting God as king, so to speak, even in a purely non godly way, uh, I can be seen as committing myself to those core values to those core ways of being in the world, right? Uh, and I think that that's a very powerful thing to think about. And again, what would my life look like if I committed to behaving in these ways, if I committed to being a person who was loving and merciful and uh, kind uh, and committed to justice and all those other things that we imagine God to be? So again, it, I think this works. If student says, I don't believe in God at all, no problem. God is your shorthand placeholder for ultimate values that I think that you are committed to. Uh, and this is your chance to articulate that commitment and make it real. And maybe you even do an exercise. Don't just say the Shema, but now that I've said the Shema, again, how do I want that to change the way I am today? Mm-hmm. So when the verse says Hashem Echad, um, I think that there are... There are a number of ways that we could sort of adapt or translate the word echad into a uh, amida, into a good character trait. Um, what what I, I'm curious to hear what you would say about that. Uh, I don't know if I'm understanding. You mean like being well, God being singular. So what would it mean to appreciate my own uniqueness, right? What would it mean to appreciate the uniqueness of others? Uh, I think that we could do that right with, with, with all of those pieces. Even the term Shema, what does it mean to listen? What does it mean to be a better listener in the world? I think the case we're making, everyone loves all these values, right? Everybody's, oh, I love loving kindness, justice, uniqueness. These are all great. Uh, they're only difficult when they come in conflict with something else that we want, Right? Everyone is the nicest, kindest, best person until it conflicts with a different urge or desire. (laughs) For personal pleasure, power, safety, you name it. That's when our values are tested. Everybody loves tzedakah. Who doesn't love tzedakah? But writing that check, when it means foregoing something else that you want, that's when tzedakah is. Everyone loves people who are patient. But when you're feeling angry... That's the moment where you have to find patience. We do these things every day because I think we are practicing. We are reminding ourselves these values are important in the hope that in the moment when they're tested, I am the best father in the world on paper. 
I could describe mm-hmm. to you all the ways a parent should be supportive and loving and a good listener and patient. I know the whole rule book. That's not where I get stuck. I, I fail in all those moments where a different feeling is competing, where I'm feeling afraid or angry or frustrated or you name it. That's the moment that I need these values. And to say I'm going to put these values first isn't just saying I like these things. Everybody likes those things. It's saying I'm going to let those values rule precisely in the moment where all these other darker things are popping up. To me, that's the, that's the practice. And I think it would be very powerful for people. So is, are you saying that then tefillah becomes, through this lens, becomes like a, a hachana, a, a preparation for life or grounding for life for... For life. When you're testing. Yes, and I think everybody who talks about tefillah would agree that tefillah is a preparation for life. Hmm. If if our our tefillah practice is not changing who we are in the world, I I feel comfortable saying everybody out there who talks about tefillah from the most traditional circles to the most progressive circles would agree, then there's something missing from our tefillah. It is meant to change. If it's not changing who we are, then even briefly then I think we have to seriously think about what we're trying to accomplish and work at it again. Wow. You, he- you heard it first on this podcast. That's right. I'm willing to stake my very minor and insignificant reputation on that very point. You are echad. You are unique. You are important. We need to That's what Aviva is saying to all of you listening <laughs> and to all of your students out there. So, uh, okay. So this was just one example you can take any piece of the tefillah and define a goal for yourself. And you see, once you have that goal, I don't think it's limiting, but you saw in terms of, especially when you heard what Ruvain and Aviva did with it also, right? The way that having that one goal, in fact, opened up this whole wider channel of thinking. Uh, and I think that having that goal and trying to teach the tefillah in the context of that goal uh, and thinking about what tools then you would need to teach that tefillah. It's obviously not just translating the words, right? Mm -hmm. But it's even going deeper and thinking about what these words mean to us and how these words then can be translated into our lives. I think that's the work. And as you had mentioned earlier, we have to make time for that work. It's not going to happen just by saying Shema, right? And again, I'm not knocking that. And as important as it is to have that spiritual discipline of reciting the Shema, I think that's great. But if we don't give our students and ourselves the tools to think about the meaning and what we're trying to accomplish, I don't think we're getting out of the, uh, the recitation uh, as much as we can. So that's the journey that we're going to be going on uh, with you and hopefully encouraging you to begin your own journey into thinking about the meaning uh, behind these practices and these philo. So until next time, Ruvain, would you like to say goodbye? Goodbye. Aviva, would you like to say goodbye? Until next time. Okay. Lehitrot. Happy davening, everyone. For more resources on tefillah education, go to tefillah, T-E-F-I-L-A-H dot pardes dot org. And for more great podcasts, visit elmad, E-L-M-A-D dot org. See you next time. <laughs>